Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to be with you again today as we continue our series called Treasure. Today, talking about the treasure of generosity, that God treasures generosity in our lives. I'll start out by mentioning in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is saying goodbye to the people he loves for the last time. These would be his last words. And as we know, when someone shares their last words with us, it's usually something important. It's not just kind of, you know, hey, by the way, my favorite color is forest green, or, you know, this is where the best sushi in town is. It's something significant, something important, something that we should treasure because they treasured that. And so Paul shares that type of message in Acts chapter 20. And so in those last words, he speaks a quote from Jesus. And it's very well, it could have been a common phrase that they heard Christ use over and over, that the the apostles, uh, the disciples would have heard Christ use over and over. It just sort of got relayed. And so Paul is relaying this statement, and this is what it is. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's out of Acts 20, verse 35. And I think about that, and I think of all that he could have left them with, Paul leaves them with that truth, with that foundation, revealing to us what God treasures. That the kingdom of God has built into it this principle, this principle of a, of a giving life, of a life of generosity. And this will include time, talent, and yes, treasure. That being the case, it makes sense that as Jesus came into the world and was preaching the message that essentially boiled down to, hey, the kingdom of God is close by, lean into it, turn towards it, he would then talk a lot about money. He'd talk a lot about generosity. In fact, Jesus talked about money all the time. (laughs) 16 out of 38 parables, nearly half, deal with money and possessions. In the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses, 288 in all, deal with money. The Bible offers to us 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. God talks about money all the time. Why? Because we think about money all the time. How many of you have thought about money today already, right? Why is that? Why why does God talk about it? Because God loves us. God then cares about what we care about, right? God cares about what we care about. Yet also, as Christ followers, we are called to care about what God cares about, God's treasure. So God talks often about the obstacles that we face around the issue of money. Luke 12, 15, Jesus says this, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, why say that to us? Well, it's because sometimes we live as though life does consist in an abundance of possessions. And Jesus, in his love, is constantly pulling us away from that cliff. Now, 
Let me make one thing clear. I know often when talking about the subject of giving and money and generosity, it is often communicated with a heaping side dish of guilt. <laughs> that is not to be a part of this conversation for a lot of reasons. The least of them being that giving out of guilt robs our gift of its kingdom value, of its kingdom virtue. God calls us to be cheerful givers and guilt giving is not cheerful. So we're going to pop that balloon. We're not going to do it that way. That's not what's happening here today. And additionally, I would want to acknowledge this, that some of the pain that is centered around money and possessions in this room uh, is, is very real. It, it, it's very deep. There, there are those among us who grew up with, with very little, grew up in poverty, um, a very frightening, a very insecure way of being raised. And so that sense of security that is brought about through having resources as an adult is more than just nice, more than just comfortable. It's central for some to feeling safe. And so the idea of giving away what you might one day need is a, is a hard leap for some to make. And I want to acknowledge that struggle. And I want you to realize that we, we understand that Jesus will meet you right where you are. He's just that good. Generosity is not just a switch we flip. It is a road we walk together with Jesus, one step of trust at a time. That's why Jesus spoke of this so often. Not because he wanted something from us, but because he wanted something for us. God wants us to experience the fruit of living a generous life. So how do we do that? Well, I'll first point out this. Treasuring generosity bears the fruit of kingdom value. That's the first fruit we want to talk about today, but treasuring generosity bears the fruit of kingdom value. Matthew 6 is where we're going to land. Let's read it together right where you are. Big voices, go. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why is generosity important? Well, for one thing, it shows what matters to me. If you want to know where your values truly lie, look at your bank statement. That, that tells us how we really live. And Jesus is saying here, if you're wise, you will live for the kingdom, storing up treasures in heaven. Now, why? Why is that wise? Because that is the only kingdom that lasts. <laughs> if you think about it purely just from an investment standpoint, okay? Let's say you're with your investment broker there. He's got his pocket protector. He's got his computer. He's got his little white shirt, short-sleeved, a little uh, black tie. He's there and he tells you, I have two options for you for investing. Here's your two options. Option number one, invest in this portfolio and you're guaranteed to eventually lose it all. And he says, then I have option two, invest in this portfolio and you are guaranteed that it will be there forever. 
Now, I am no finance genius, but it seems like option two sounds kind of good. That's exactly what Jesus is telling us here, right? Invest in what lasts forever. And yet we sit there and we go, I don't know, that, that, that option one sounds pretty nice. Yeah, Guaranteed to lose it all, you say, all of it. Oh, sign me up for that. In life, we're drawn to, to build these amazing sandcastles all the while knowing they will one day be washed away. Yet we still do it. In fact, all we see is sandcastles up to the latest billionaire mansion we see being built. It is a sandcastle. It won't last. So Jesus is asking us, which kingdom matters most to you? He says, you have before you this world's kingdom, which will never last, and you have God's kingdom, which lasts forever. So which do you choose, never or forever? Now, let, let's say we decide, oh, well, I want to choose God's forever kingdom. The question then is, how do we know we're living in God's kingdom? The answer, well, by where our treasure is. Tim Keller says it this way, the place where our heart rests is revealed by money. Have you been to one of these places, um, these kind of family fun center kind of places? They have bowling and they have video games and they have, uh, you know, some food places and they have, you know, but these other games that are designed kind of around a points system. It's, it's like Kitty Vegas, basically. You know, you play these little little games, and but you start by exchanging your money for one of their cards that has a, a bunch of points on. You can swipe that in the machines and you play these games and, and, and you either get tickets or you get points loaded onto the card as, as it goes. And you play and you play, and the more you play, the more of these, those, the points of that particular place are loaded onto that card. And at the end of the time, you, you swipe your card through, through the thing, and it tells you, oh, you have 480,000 points. You're like, that's amazing. I have 480,000 points. What can I do with that? You can go to the gift shop and with those points, you can purchase something. And you look at the gift shop and you say, okay, for 480,000 points, what can I get? And you realize, oh, that buys me a pencil. <laughs> or maybe a Tootsie Roll. And you're like, oh, if, if only I had 500,000 points and then I could get like a finger puppet, you know? And you're going, wow, not bad for $87. I, I don't know if it lines up. I understand that's not the best deal. It's all about the entertainment. But the point I'm making is that the currency of that place is different than the currency outside of it. You exchanged it. And that is absolutely true of God's kingdom. In this world, money is leveraged to buy something temporary for us. Yet in God's world, Money is given to produce something eternal in us and others. Very different use. Which is why we exchange the currency of this world for the currency of God's world. When I do that, when I give like that, it establishes what I value. And so if I value God's forever kingdom more than this temporary world, my generosity will show that. Treasuring generosity bears the fruit of kingdom value. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Treasuring generosity bears the fruit 
of clarified vision. Let's continue the passage, Matthew 6, 22. Big voices, go. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So what's this talking about? Suddenly we were talking about money, and now we're talking about eyes and, and light. Um, here's what it's saying. It's still in the same idea. He's still talking about the same subject. What the passage is saying is that you can be in a room full of light, okay? Like a room like this, full of light, filled with spotlights and flood lamps and, and lightning bugs, all enveloping light. But if your eyes are blind, you won't see it. It doesn't matter what the reality is around you. I won't experience it if my perception is wrong. Jesus is warning us that when it comes to money, the grid through which I view the world is often wrong. And because I see wrong, everything becomes wrong. My actions are not right any longer. It's like um, we used to play this game when we were youth pastors with kids, dizzy bat tee ball. And you put a ball on a tee and uh, you would have, have a bat. But before they could swing to hit the ball off the tee with their bat, they would put the bat on their forehead, put the bat on the ground and have to spin around the bat a whole bunch of times. That's enough right now or I'll throw up on camera. But uh, they'd spin a whole bunch of times, like 10 times, 20 times. Uh, you know, we were cruel to them, which was great. That was back when you can do stuff like that to kids. And so they'd be totally dizzy after spinning around the bat all these times. And then they would attempt to hit the, the ball off of the tee, which was hilarious, and they always fell down, and that was, that was just the best time. The ball hadn't changed, but the people had. It was still the same right where it was, but their perception changed. They became wrong as a result of flawed senses. What this passage is saying is that greed flaws our senses. It blinds us. And it's so true. I, I think if we think about it, it really is so true because we never think of ourselves as greedy, do we? We can think of ourselves as a lot of things and recognize the places that we're wrong, but greedy, no, because there's always someone with more. There's always someone living a more extravagant life that we can point to. You know, I've got two cars, but Jay Leno has hundreds of cars. That guy's, you know, greedy, I could say. Or, you know, I have one big TV, but my neighbor's got eight TVs. They're, they're the greedy ones. And we just don't think that greed could possibly apply to us. That's the deception. That's why Jesus warns us about it. Because greed is the sin that we can all be in without thinking we're in it. It's kind of unique in that way. Like if someone commits adultery, they usually know kind of what's going on. They don't at one point go, oh, oh, I, you're not my wife. I, I'm sorry, you know. No, that's not how it works. No, mo most of the other things we can, we can wreck ourselves with are, are, are obvious to us. But greed, it hides. It hides behind, well, I know I give more than they do. It hides behind, well, I, I give in other ways besides finances. Greed hides behind, can, can you believe they bought that? How extravagant. It hides. 
Greed always points the fingers at others because it does not want those fingers to point back at us. We don't want to ask these hard questions of ourselves, and that's what makes us blind. No one feels rich because there's always someone richer. There's a great website, I think, to help give us perspective on this. It's called the globalrichlist.com, globalrichlist.com. You enter your income, it shows your rank in terms of global wealth, and it will shock you because in America, we are rich. So because of that, we have to see differently. You say, well, how does that work? Uh, how, how much do I give? What does a generous life look like? How much do I keep? I, I, you know, it doesn't seem wise to just give all of my rent money and then not be able to, to, to meet that obligation. That doesn't seem good either. It's not honoring to God and, and that I would do that and just presume God will, will make up for it. So that's the tension, right? How much do I give? How much do, do, I, do I keep? Well, C.S. Lewis described it this way. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Generosity for us, it has to express this new way of seeing, uh, like the story of Jesus watching a widow come and she gives a tiny, tiny amount of money into the offering while others came and they gave so much more. But Jesus says her gift is what mattered most in the kingdom. Why? Because it was all that she had. Here's the truth. It's not about what your gift means to others. It's about what your gift means to you. What your gift costs you. And the problem for us is sometimes our gifts don't cost us that much. They don't really mean that much to us. We kind of give God what we can spare. We kind of give God what, what, what's left over. We kind of give God a tip. Hey, nice job, God. You're doing great. Here's a tip. Yeah, keep, it up. keep up the good work, God. That kind of giving, it doesn't require any faith, and therefore it doesn't make room for any miracles. We don't need God for that kind of generosity. So what's the answer? What's the cure for greed? It's a radically obedient generosity. An outflowing life. That's the antidote. It's a different kind of giving. And it's in that place where our giving moves from what I can account for to what God is calling me to. And it's there. I begin to see his kingdom because treasuring generosity bears the fruit of a clarified vision. That's the second thing here is the last thing. Treasuring generosity bears the fruit of singular allegiance. Let's finish out the passage. Big voices go. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, who am I going to serve? Who are you going to serve? I can tell you, after now, after some 30 years of, of following Jesus, there is no comparison between serving God and serving money. God gives, money takes. God inspires, money depresses. God equips, money 
uses. All of us will serve something, but friends, money is a tough master. Yet still, will we choose to serve it? And, and it's not only a difficult taskmaster to us, it's also money is so limited in its ability to take care of us. There's an example I, I use often. Take the principle of tithe that we see in Scripture. It means a tenth, like if you're a farmer and you have ten bundles of wheat, you, you give one of those bundles of wheat as a tithe, one-tenth, uh, and it's given to the temple. That's where the word tithe comes from. It means a tenth. It's an Old Testament concept. But we also see in the New Testament, Jesus tells us that he is the fulfillment of the law, which is why in the New Testament we see examples of giving that go way beyond a tenth, way beyond a tithe. He talks about if you have two shirts, give one away. That's 50%. He talks about the widow who gave everything, 100%. So a tithe is a great starting point in giving, but that is a beginning, not an end. Just think of it that way. All right. That said, here's a giving scenario. Uh, the median, median household income in Eugene in 2020, that's the most recent stats I could get, was $52,000 a year. That is $4,333 a month. A tithe on that amount monthly is $433. So here's the choice. I get my paycheck and I can choose to keep that $433. Obviously, there's always things I need. There's always bills I need to pay. That's what I can do with that. And in doing so, in essence, what I'm, what I'm saying is I need you $433 to take care of my needs. That's my relationship with that $433. That's where my heart rests. You have to take care of me. I could write songs about it, celebrating my trust in that $433. I could create devotional materials where me and a few of my friends gather together and dig deeper into the nature and meaning and power of $433. I could do that. It seems silly, but that's what we do. Yet, Jesus says you, you can make a different choice, a choice to generously give of that resource to God, where I'm saying, God, I don't trust this $433 to save me. I trust you to save me. So I give this to you. I'm saying in that moment, God, you're my rescuer. You're where I place my hope. And, and friends, I'm telling you, after all of these years, I would much rather put my trust in the God of all creation who made heaven and earth than to put my trust in $433. It's a no-brainer. Or, or $433 million for that matter because that money was never intended to save me. It can't. Only God can. And so this is how the kingdom of God is supposed to work. This is what God invites us to. He wants us to believe him and to trust him in every part of our lives. Yet our problem is, God, oh, I'll trust you with my soul, but not with my money. <laughs> and there's the issue. We still think it's our money. We have not yet understood. It all belongs to God. God entrusts me with some of his resource as another way of helping me follow him, but it's all God's. I'm not the owner. I just steward those resources until one day I die. And then what happens? 
Those resources go to somebody else. We act like, oh, this is ours forever. It's not. Money is ours to steward until we croak, and then someone else stewards it. The only thing that lasts is God and God's kingdom value. And that kingdom is a place that always values giving more than receiving. Knowing that, we get to trust God with every part of our lives. Yes, with our time. Yes, with our talents, but also with our treasure. Why? Because God wants to redeem all things in me, every part of my life. And treasuring generosity bears the fruit of singular allegiance. I'll wrap up with this. So where do we begin? Well, 2 Corinthians has an interesting passage. Paul is telling those in the church in Corinth about the example of this church in Macedonia. And this is what he says, 2 Corinthians 8, 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. It's amazing, right? They started out giving what they could. They ended up giving what they couldn't. It was a miracle. Often, when it comes to generosity, we say, I would if I could. But radically obedient generosity says, I could if I would. Where do we begin with giving? We begin with a first step. It's a conversation with Jesus, allowing Jesus to challenge me. God, in, in the word, says, test me in this. He says in Malachi, try me in this. Trust that the God who gives every good gift to us is worthy of all of our praise and our hope and our reliance. That's where we start. And here's the amazing side effect of trusting like this, that God then allows us to partner with him to actually help others, other people. Our gifts propel his life around our community and around the globe, that our giving becomes part of that which brings life and love and the grace of Jesus to the world. A great example is seen this weekend as we have uh, in person in our services three agencies that in different ways support families in our area, helping to make to, to keep those kids in those families out of the foster care system. Because we know if we can keep kids out of the foster care system, it ultimately is better for families. So resourcing families to make them healthier so that can happen. We have three agencies that deal with that very thing in different ways. We have the Every Child Agency here, the Safe Families Agency, and a Family for Every Child, that agency. Um, and they're all here this weekend at Cove Church. Part of your generosity in giving at Cove Church, it goes to support their work. And in that way, the currency of this world is literally exchanged for currency that can help and in some cases save the life of a child, can save the soul of a child. That's why this matters. We understand that it is God who transforms lives, but our gift becomes like the rocket fuel that propels that payload to its location. We become part of a miracle. 
Because one of God's favorite ways to bring about his miracles is to do so through his people. God says, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. I want to do it with you. Our giving can help us join him in that. And in doing so, lives are changed. So don't forget that as great as it is that our generosity helps to change the lives of others, the greatest gift is that our generosity helps to change us, helps to change our lives, helps to change me. And that's a change I desperately need. God treasures generosity. Let's treasure it as well. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.